With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. State Senator Nate Libby is here for our monthly get together. I can't believe it's already February, man. I know. It's already, it's just flown right by. I think, I feel like the weather's better today than last time you were in though. So yeah. that's, that's a good bonus. Puxatawney Phil saw his shadow or... What? Maybe he didn't see a shadow. I don't know, but it feels like spring's on its way. I feel like we as Mainers should do something. I feel like we should get like, like a lobster or something. Or like, I don't know, Mikey Moose or something. Mikey, yeah, something like yeah. I, something. There's got to be something. I don't know, some random bear, perhaps. I'm mm. not really either or. I, I, I mean, I, I feel like there's there's some major missed opportunities here. I mean, Pennsylvania and a groundhog. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, I, I don't, I, I don't know. How how are things up at Augusta? Things uh, things yeah, going uh, swimmingly up there currently. Right. Uh, one step forward, two steps back. Yeah, <laughs> so the same old, same old right. is what we're saying. Oh, good. good. I, I I know I kind of uh, we we just sometimes when we're on the program, but I I I do uh, enjoy the work in Augusta, even though it is difficult and challenging sometimes. I think um, for the most part, we are able to do good work for the people of the state, um, the people we represent, and. You know, I look at Washington and the extreme dysfunction that goes on there, and I'm thankful that we we aren't nearly um, as bad as they are in terms of getting the people's work done. A little bit about some of the legislation you're working on. Uh, first off, we'll start off with child care regulations. Uh, I guess some local providers came to you with some issues? Yeah, uh, it was last uh, spring or summer. Um, I was invited out to um, meet with probably a dozen or so child care providers who um, – you know, across the board, do really good work. They're really passionate about the uh, the care that they provide, and they know they are really um, integral to uh, a productive workforce. Because, of course, if uh, parents don't have high quality and accessible childcare, it's really uh, tough to stay in the workforce. So, they came to me with a number of issues and concerns they had around DHHS and um, enforcement of. Uh, some pretty crazy sounding regulations. So um, I worked with them to draft a piece of legislation that's about uh, 13 pages. It's got um, 15 or 16 different elements, but it's all designed to try to bring some consistency to DHHS uh, and their enforcement of regulations, but also uh, bring some pragmatic um, ideas to the table. You know, one example is... um, uh, uh, we had a case where a DHS inspector was um, at a child care facility. Um, the owner was providing care for some kids. The DHS inspector asked the owner to step out of the room to talk with them about an issue. And as soon as that uh, owner stepped out of the room, the DHS inspector uh, uh, gave them a, a demerit for having the child care provider ratio drop. And, and it's just so crazy that, you know, the... That, that that was a penalty but That's, that sounds like that sounds like one of those weird like trick questions like right. hey co- like we're, you're doing odyssey of the mind hey come yeah. here oh yeah. oh you see you see you crossed over that line yeah that's a point exactly. that's off yeah so what does the owner do do they uh in that situation do they uh obey the uh inspector or do they you know go against the inspector either way they're kind of 
not in a good sp uh, spot. So that's one example of what we're trying to address to make things a little bit more predictable and reliable. And I, the other thing here is that uh, Lewis and Auburn is a growing community. Uh, there are wait lists for childcare services, and we need to make sure that we are not making it um, more difficult uh, for these folks to do their business. Because that, as I said, that I mean, they are a really important part of the workforce. We are talking with State Senator Nate Libby. We'll have more with him around the corner. Breakfast Club means Big Z 927 1055. Hanging out with State Senator Nate Libby. He joins us each month here on The Breakfast Club. We continue now talking about things. We talked about child care regulations in the last segment. Um, let's talk a little bit more about some of the legislation you're working with. Um, campaign finance reform. It seems like every time I turn around, there's a new campaign finance reform, something or other, from someone who is either a successful candidate or a non-successful candidate. There's a lot of... It can be very confusing, and it can be easy for folks to make mistakes, and then all of a sudden, bam, campaign finance issue, and you're like, oh, what shady stuff are you doing mm -hmm. there? What? Let, let's talk a little bit about this and, and what this legislation is. Yeah, this uh, this example has to do with uh, political action committees that are run by legislators, and I think what's unfortunate here is uh, folks will push the envelope of what's legal, and then we find out about it, and then it raises real ethical concerns, so... Uh, a couple of examples that came up last year with a couple of legislators, one Democrat, one Republican, was this idea that they are going to raise political contributions um, and put them into their political action committee accounts and then, um, in one case, pay themselves for work they're doing associated with the PAC and then, in another case, um, use the funds to float loans to their um, personal bank accounts and personal business uh, accounts. And so in both of those cases, it raises some pretty um, serious questions about, you know, uh, why uh, why folks would um, raise contributions from donors and then and then spend them in this manner. So um, Senator Chinette from York County um, is, uh, is has been driving this ship and I'm uh, helping him. But basically, when we want to clarify the law and say that uh, political action committees should be used for political activities, you know, supporting candidates, running campaigns, those kinds of things. Um, and you know, the, we we need to make sure the law is clear that it can't be used for um, personal affairs. You know, floating a, a loan to yourself or paying yourself for doing work around the um, political action committee and that sort of thing. Sexual harassment prevention efforts, um, mandatory training for all legislators. I, I'm really surprised by that because uh, just about every job I've ever taken. It has been like, here, watch the sexual harassment right. video, even if it's from like 1986. Right. Like, and you have to figure out like which posters on the wall and from when that is. But right. usually there's still something there. there. You don't have that for legislators? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> they have a, um, a sexual harassment prevention training at the beginning of the two-year session. But what I found is that it's effectively uh, optional because if you, for some reason, miss that one session that's held every two years, um, you are asked to sign a piece of paper that includes a sexual harassment policy. And that happened to me um, a year and a half ago. I wasn't able to attend the session. I asked when the makeup session is going to be, and the response was, just sign this piece of paper. So um, Interesting. So in the fall, when all of this stuff in Hollywood started um, bubbling up to the surface, and then we start learning about uh, harassment situations in state houses and in Congress— it got me thinking that we probably need to do a lot better in the way of harassment prevention training. 
And I think what's also unique about the state house as a workplace is that you've got folks coming from um, all over the state, from all different backgrounds. You have professional staff, you have lobbyists, you've got legislative leaders. There are all kinds of power dynamics going on. And, um, you know, having informal conversations with some of the staff, uh, my eyes were really open to the fact that harassment goes on uh, frequently. Um, a lot of times people are not willing to report those situations because, again, there are power dynamics at play. And so um, what I was able to do over the last couple of months is um, move forward a requirement that every legislator is going to go through an in-person harassment training. It's going to be a requirement. Um, there's no getting around it. And uh, so hopefully this will, I think, uh, help improve uh, the situation and at least um, make sure legislators are a little bit more cognizant of their actions, how their actions are being perceived, um, and and that sort of thing. We will have more on the way with State Senator Nate Libby. You're listening to The Breakfast Club, Bates Big Z, 927 Expecting snow and mess on Wednesday. Not one foot of snow, but we'll tell you more about that around the corner. Accurate with the forecast on the way. State Senator Nate Libby continues with us now. We're talking about legislation he's working on for the upcoming session. So we talked about uh, child care regulations, campaign finance reform, and sexual harassment prevention efforts. A couple of uh, quick things here. We'll go with the next one, in-person visitation for incarcerated persons. Yeah, this is an interesting issue. I don't have a lot of experience working in the realm of criminal justice policy, but last fall the LePage administration um, uh, finalized a rule that makes in-person visitation for incarcerated persons optional. And I think the concern here is that in our county jail system, things have changed quite a bit over the last 30 years. You've got some folks that um, are are waiting in, in the county jail for up to a year to go to trial. Um, which is quite a bit different than what we thought uh, about county jails, where it's kind of a temporary place. But with folks uh, uh, being incarcerated for up to a year, taking away in-person visitation I think is really problematic. There are some studies that I'm aware of that show that um, uh, face-to-face contact with uh, friends and loved ones while incarcerated helps um, make sure that when those folks are uh, released from prison, the transition back into uh, the community goes more smoothly. Um, you know, I think the, the sheriffs will say that their concern is that um, contact visits, um, you know, visits without a glass um, a separator, uh, help provide for the trafficking of, of drugs and that kind of thing into into jails. And I don't, I don't think any of us are advocating for that, but we do want to preserve, um, you know, that opportunity for folks to have visitation with loved ones, at least behind the glass. Um, the proposal that they're going with is, um, you know, they're saying, well, we can do it over a, kind of a Skype situation, which certainly is not the same as having uh, in-person visitation. So that's what we're trying there. And as I'm finding out, incarcerated persons are not uh, a constituency that often gets a lot of support and uh, sympathy. So it's an interesting issue to be working on. Yeah, certainly is. Um Pedestrian safety projects. I know uh, you and I have talked about before. I think it's, uh, I'll give you an example, the one in New Auburn over by Florian's Market right there. I don't know how many people I, I have seen saved by that one mm-hmm. from that one lighting up. Mm-hmm. And and that's from, 
you know, we talk about all the time about distracted drivers, but you also have distracted walkers because mm-hmm. they're just like, and you don't know where they're coming from. And sometimes at night, i.e. like starting to get dusky and stuff like that, if people mm-hmm. are wearing dark clothes, you can't see somebody going there and that mm-hmm. thing lights up. Whoa. Hey, mm-hmm. ha- even if nobody's there, you're going to stop and be like, whoa, hey, yep. you're going to stop. Yep. It, it, you're just going to notice it. I. That's a that's a major life saving thing. Yeah. Um, I assume, of course, however, like with everything else, that takes money to do right. those things. So I assume state funding is, is is something we're looking for for more of this stuff. Yeah, you know, I think if if you know in that uh, section of New Auburn you're talking about with Florian's Market, if if there was a highly visible crosswalk that had rapid flashing beacons, I think at least some of those pedestrians would be more willing to redirect their route to use that mm-hmm. um, crosswalk, but. But in the absence of that, I think you're right. You see folks crossing all over the place. And um, the issue of wearing dark clothes is an issue. I know that in Lewiston, our public schools have done a a much better job in recent years about educating kids every year about um, best practices when it comes to walking to school. But um, apart from that, you are right. Uh, Some of this stuff does take money. Um, Communities like Lewiston have made big uh, local budget cuts over the past uh, several years since the recession. There is not a lot of money left to uh, make improvements to pedestrian uh, crosswalks and and that sort of thing. So what I've been working on is trying to develop a a program where the state will partner with towns to pay for projects. And uh, the the law would require um, uh, that the DOT award grants on a competitive basis to towns that can prove they've got a uh, high traffic, high risk area. And uh, what I'm proposing is having the state pay for 80% of the cost of these projects. The municipalities kick in 20% so they have some skin in the game. And uh, we're proposing to fund it through uh, account balances that are left in the multimodal fund at the end of each year. So no new taxes would be raised. It's really just repurposing funds that haven't been spent to make sure they're getting out the door and improving um, pedestrian safety. And then I'll just finally say that um, 2016 was the deadliest year for pedestrians in Maine, and then uh, 2017 happened. 2017 surpassed it and was the deadliest um, year for pedestrians. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm uh, up, at fo- you know, I'm fighting against folks who um, say we can't afford to do anything and the status quo is fine. And I'm saying let's use money that we have available to try to. Um, move the needle a little bit. We are talking with State Senator Nate Libby. We'll have more with him around the corner. Maine's Big Z, 927, 105.5. Calm. Wrap it up with State Senator Nate Libby. He's been in this hour. He joins us each and every month. Wrapped up with the Pedestrian Safety Project state funding, some of the legislation that he's been working on. Uh, coverage for dietitian services and obesity treatment. Um I did. I was unaware that there was no coverage for this. I feel like this is kind of one of those important things, right, for uh, folks. Yeah, this is all about uh, preventative care and making sure that we're helping folks deal with their health issues up front, as opposed to later on when they get more complex and more complicated. So, um, main care rules are kind of funny around this area. Um, they say that dietitian services are covered if they're provided in a hospital setting, but they are not covered if they're provided in an outpatient setting. And, you know, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because we want to have people being served to the extent possible in outpatient settings because it's cheaper, more effective, um, more common, easier to get to, all those sorts of things. Um, So we're working with um, dietitians and then doctors who 
work in uh, obesity management to provide more coverage for main care um, in, in this area. And um, as I said before, this is all about saving money um, because if folks get their, uh, just one example, um, a dietitian was working with a patient who was uh, 80 pounds overweight and diabetic. Um, their insulin uh, costs were about 12000 a month. By losing 80 pounds, they no longer needed the 12000 I'm sorry, $12,000 a year um, for insulin. So, you know, a few hundred dollars up front saves thousands of dollars over a longer period. And that's what we're trying to communicate to the Health and Human Services Committee is that we need to do more in this area because um, it saves money in the long run. And that's just one small example. I mean, think about all the other complications around obesity, um, heart disease, and all that kind of stuff. So um, trying to make some progress on this, on this front. We've got a hearing uh, on Wednesday. That's a that's a really good point. And that's one of those cost savings right there that, that you mentioned. That that's the key. Like, oh well, all this medical stuff is it's so expensive. Yeah, you're right. When you get to that end point it is. It's like when you bring your car in. Oh, I gotta get this engine replaced. Well, you probably should have changed your oil, you know? Like sometimes that preventative maintenance is important and, and it saves stuff there. And if you're using main care for that sort of thing, I would much rather pay for somebody's dietitian visit then pay for their uh, giant surgery that they're mm-hmm. going to have to have later on to save their life, mm-hmm. which may or may not work, depending, right. you know? So, you know, yeah. that, that surgery or a major heart attack, right. surgery, um, you know, for diabetes, Stroke recovery. Uh, yeah. Amputations. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's just so much more that you have to do. And, you know, I think some people benefit from having uh, the counseling portion of dietitian services. And then in some cases, there are medications that can help um, uh, control weights and help folks lose. And it's not a permanent uh, solution, and it's not saying these people are you know, weak-willed or anything like that. It's just a little bit of service up front to help, um, help improve health in the long term and lower costs to the state in the long term. We're talking with State Senator Nate Libby, talking today about some of the legislation he's got rolling up there. Uh, last question for you, uh, Medicaid expansion and the governor's demands. How are we going to fund this now without raising taxes? Right. Uh, the uh, Citizen Initiative passed last year, um, calls for expanding Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. Under um, these provisions, the federal government would pay 90% um, of every dollar that is used in the um, Medicaid program. And so uh, the governor has several milestones that he needs to meet um, to follow the law. And um, the big one is that um, July 1st of this year, um, enrollment is supposed to begin, and uh, I think we have some disagreement on the uh, cost estimates, but uh, just based on the surplus that is uh, accruing in the Medicaid account, looks like we'd be able to cover the expansion for that next uh, full year of the fiscal year, and then going forward, again, 90% covered by the feds, we would need to figure out how to cover it in the in the budget um, for the next session, but I think it's very doable, and Again, we were just talking about this, but a lot of this kind of stuff is preventative care for folks that don't have insurance or have insurance that just provides catastrophic coverage. So to the extent we're getting people healthier up front, we're saving money down the road. And, and I'll remind you that um, for folks that don't have insurance and are going to the emergency room for real catastrophic uh, stuff and they're getting uh, free care, you know, those costs are not just uh, magically disappear. Uh, they, you know, we are all picking up those costs. So whether we pay up front or we pay down the road, um, I think Medicaid expansion is going to help us save money in the long run. His name is Nate Libby. He's a state senator, and he joins us each and every month here on The Breakfast Club.
Senator Libby, always good to see you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Matty. By the way, I totally blamed myself last night. I watched the game instead of going out and listening to it on the radio. It was my fault. Nice job. Thanks. All of New England is uh, very unhappy. They're all mad at me now. It's really good. That was my own fault. But the rest of the country is thrilled. They're ecstatic. Somebody should be throwing a parade for me today. Right. It's a breakfast club. (laughs) Mains Big Z, 92.7105.5. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.